Hey, everyone. Welcome, as always. Today is really about you. We're going to take your calls. I've got a few comments I want to make before we get started. I was on a very interesting Twitter Spaces uh, day before yesterday. And uh, during that conversation, I had some realizations that I want to share with you and sort of map out. And then we will go to your calls. As always, I am uh, watching the Rumble Rants and also over on Restream, all the, the chatting going on there. I try to watch what you guys are doing. I try to respond to what's there. I promise you I won't get all of it, but I do the best I can. I'm thinking about a couple other things while I'm up here. Uh, Susan is not with us today. She just had some oral surgery, so please wish her well. She's doing great, but uh, I don't want her particularly out of bed. Though I'm going to be, wouldn't be surprised if she dropped in on us, uh, at least on the Rumble side. So, all right, let's get right to it. Our laws, as it pertains to substances, are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic. Because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous I'm a, I'm a doctor for sake. Where the hell you think I learned that? I'm just saying. You go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. You have trouble. You can't stop and you want to help stop it. I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. And as usual, we're out on Twitter Spaces, and uh, if you want to come up and ask questions, just raise your hand, and please be patient. I'll try to get to everybody I possibly can. See, we got a pretty good space going right now, so uh, do be patient. Uh, the Spaces I was on the other day was really about one of the Twitter files, one of the Twitter dumps, um, about, in this case, showing Pfizer's duplicitous action with the government in order to suppress dissent and uh, raise voices that help them financially. It, it was uh, astonishing, disgusting, uh, you know, but, you know, every time uh, Twitter pours out more information, it gets more and more bizarre and more and more draconian. So I don't want so much to talk about that, though I'm, I'm willing to entertain questions on it. I, I'm more interested in talking about what occurred to me in the course of the conversation about those things. Let me say people are also interested in uh, perhaps my opinion about the signal that there are perhaps strokes in the Pfizer vaccine over the age of 65 or extra stroke. I've not seen that. I've vaccinated many, many hundreds of people in that age group. If anything, maybe I've seen a little more atrial fibrillation, but I'm not sure about that even. My persistent impression is, and it's possible to have this nuanced approach, everybody. You can, you can feel that a vaccine is worth the risk in certain age groups and not worth the risk in other age groups. So, I, I will tell you that I believe it is still worth the risk, uh, 65 and plus. I might be wrong, and I, I'm certainly that's certainly possible. But my patients that are vaccinated and boosted have had less trouble with COVID than those who were not. I use a fair bit of Paxlovid, though I've seen lots of rebound. And uh, I have moderate concern in the 65 to 75-year-old age group, but older than that, I'm convinced we're really doing something good. And I think we have done something good. And I think the fact that we developed a vaccine with such extraordinary speed to save the lives of these populations ought to one day be thought of as something good. The problem is that we have gone way over our skis in terms of where else we're recommending it and this, these mandates and this pushing. That's where I have a problem. That's where I'm objecting. Mostly because I can't even give my patients informed consent. I don't really know yet, Is this are these signals I think I'm seeing 
real. And certainly I've seen, look, I've watched NFL football my entire life. I've never seen somebody drop dead on the field. That's never happened. And you can make an argument all you want about it being Camosio Cordis. Perhaps it was. But let me just give you a few facts on Camosio. Camosio happens almost exclusively in pre-adolescent males with a thin chest while because of a strike by an object like a puck, a baseball, or an elbow, a projectile. It almost never happens in football. And if you've ever seen Camosio, they go pl flaccid immediately. Now, this particular Lamar, DeMar, did not go flaccid. He stood up and took a couple of steps. And people are surmising a very rare event and then are twisting themselves into pretzels to explain why that happened to make it an even more extraordinary rare event that maybe the Q on T was hit and caused a ventricular tachycardia that degenerated into ventricular fibrillation. No, that didn't happen. And I find it odd that we're not finding out what happened to him. I'm worried that it's a pulmonary embolus or some sort of clotting phenomenon such as that. And then I'm wondering what is causing it. Is it COVID? Is it the vaccine? Is it the vaccine plus COVID? That question needs to be answered, and it's not even being asked. That's where I am deeply, deeply upset. That's where I'm concerned. So for my 30-year-old males that I'm advising about vaccine, yes or no, booster, yes or no, I can't give them informed consent because no one has given me the information that I need in order to do so. So in this state, if I even bring up these concerns because of AB 2098, I could possibly lose my license. So this is a freaking mess. Now, what I want you to know is that, and this is what I want to get at today, is that this is all terribly, terribly familiar to me. I lived through the opioid crisis. And this, my experience in that opioid pandemic was so precisely the same as what I'm experiencing now that I am guessing, I am postulating, more than guessing, I am postulating, hypothesizing that there is a similar phenomenon afoot. So let me, I want to take you through the opioid crisis and see if youth can see correlates with today. So opiates were excessively prescribed back in the 1890 when they were first developed. Uh, and we had the first wave opioid pandemic. The Harrison Narcotic Act was essentially what put that to rest. 20,000 physicians were criminally um, or assailed and allegedly tens of thousands put in jail. I don't have confirmation of that, but I know that tens of thousands got into criminal trouble because of overprescribing of opiates. That was the mid 1910s. So from 1915 on, doctors were afraid to prescribe opiates. We freeze when doctors get in trouble. This lasted 50 years. We were afraid of opiate addiction. We were afraid of overprescribing. 50 years. Then in the 60s, a movement came in that really caught wind in the 70s to better treat cancer pain, which was, of course, the right thing to do, to treat cancer pain with readily available opiates and to expand our opiate and opioid base to treat people who were dying and so they had dignity and lack of and didn't have misery at the end. It was a very important movement, but some evangelists emerged from that movement. I'm going to point out the correlates with you as I go through this. Now, I'm saying that the vaccine was a very important thing. We got an extraordinary thing that in a few months, we got something that helped a certain population, to my estimation. Might be wrong, to my estimation. But evangelists emerged.
people who decided the vaccine must be given to everybody, no questions asked, and then must be mandated. Somebody was behind that. Back in the opiate crisis, there was a doctor, a, a, um, she was actually a nurse, if I remember right, and a pain specialist and his fellow that went out and said, we are the, we are the saviors of the American public, and we are going to save America from ever experiencing any pain. And they got hold of their professional societies, the pain, pain societies, that who then got hold of the regulatory agencies, first the Veterans Administration, who invented then the pain is the fifth vital sign. Do you remember that? Where your pulse, if it was zero, what's the pain scale? It had, it had, if you didn't measure the pain scale along with the pulse and the blood pressure, you would be sanctioned. Joint Commission on Hospital Accreditation followed suit. California Medical Association, the California Board of Quality Assurance, the Department of Mental Health. I was sanctioned by all of them, including my hospital, because I stood up and said, I'm not going to give pain opioids to my heroin addicts in withdrawal because they're a little uncomfortable. I have many other things at my disposal. They will be fine, but they're all unhappy in withdrawal. If I give my heroin addicts opiates, they're not have any chance of getting better. Now, Sidebar, we didn't have Suboxone back then. It's kind of a different story, but Suboxone is a special case of, of opiate, uh, opioid. Uh, so there we were with people and evangelical movement. And guess what? The drug company, I'm blanking on the name of the drug company now. Hey, maybe you can help me, Caleb. The one that was just sanctioned for billions of dollars or destroyed by that. The ones that were major contributors over at the Met Museum in New York. Uh, they, they didn't cause this. They blew wind into the sails of the physicians who were already evangelically creating the movement. The drug companies don't practice medicine. They take the evangelists, they notice them, they support them financially, and they go full force with them with the lobbyists and the regulators, and they get behind them and show them where to go. And so the drug companies are duplicitous, not causational. Not saying they should be off the hook. I'm saying what we're going to find, much like in the opioid crisis, I believe when the Justice Department gets involved in figuring out where the excesses of our government were, where they went awry in terms of um, excess and maybe infringing upon some of our First Amendment rights, they're going to find evangelists. And if the evangelists uh, for vaccine are anything like the ones for the opioids, they're going to say it out loud before it's going to be out there somewhere on emails and things. They're going to say it out loud and they will harm people and they will harm people and still push on. This was the thing about the opiate crisis. You could not get people to stop. My patients were dying all around me because of my peers overprescribing. And it wasn't, most people don't know this. I, it wasn't until Jeff Sessions, who was the uh, attorney general, first attorney general in the Trump administration, I believe, stood up and said at a symposium and said, I see what's going on here. I know what this is. I know what to do about it. I'm going to take care of it. And in about six months, you'll see. And I'll be goddamn if in six months he hadn't taken several of the evangelists and prosecuted them criminally. And then what happens is my profession freezes. Uh, it's not was it Purdue Pharmaceutical? Caleb, Caleb's looking it up for me. I'm not. I'm not sure one. that. Uh, I tried Purdue, looking Purdue them up. Was and... involved? 
It it's the been, other one. You know what? Let me family. go back to the restream. Yes, yes, Sackler. That's the, those are oh, the, it's guys. the Is that family. Purdue? Oh, yeah. A Sackler yeah, okay. and Purdue. Purdue. That, that's what I heard from. Thanks, Alana. I, sh I should have just gone to the restream. Thank you, guys. You're, you're very responsive there. I appreciate it. Um, uh, in any event, uh, of course, in this case, it's going to be Pfizer and Moderna and BioNTech. And there you watch, you watch and see that they're not standing behind a bunch of physicians who are pulling the weight for them. So, all right, where was I going with this? Um, so, so sessions went in, put some of these people in jail, and my profession froze in place. And magically and suddenly, they started reconsidering the evangelist point of view. They started looking at what really was going on. They stopped silencing and sanctioning. Sound familiar? We didn't have social media in the 90s, but they were sanctioning us. They were going after our licenses, all the same stuff. Same stuff you see. It's like line and verse, the same playbook. It's uncanny. It's weird. And I'm not saying there's somebody consciously doing the same thing. I think this is just what happens when there, there's no point. There is zero place for religious evangelism in medicine. If you see a doctor that is evangelical about any topic, run, run, run. Okay. Every doctor should approach his or her clinical act, clinical impressions with humility and caution and real willingness to adjust course and think through other ideas. If they are an evangelist for some particular movement, be very, very careful because they have a lot of, maybe, now maybe they'll be right once in a while. That's certainly possible, but they have great potential to uh, do harm. Uh, let's see. Somebody asked me about a super chat. Is there a super chat upstream somewhere? I'm not, I didn't see it. So I apologize. Caleb, maybe you can, since Susan isn't here, you can call my attention to any super chat. Yeah, chats I will. I don't see a super in, okay? chat there. Yeah, I'll put it up on screen. Okay, somebody said, all right, good, thanks. Uh, all right, so Caleb, since you're the one I get to bounce things off of today, does that does that story make sense to you? Does it, Can you oh. see the, the core? Did I explain in such a way you yes. see the correlates? absolutely. And it's I didn't yeah, even it, know about weird, that history it? there. It's very interesting for me, it's, I, I guess, because I'm, I, I did. I guess I didn't. wasn't very aware of what was going on throughout the opioid epidemic. So it's interesting because I was not aware of any sort of pushback or anything until the Sacklers, like till that whole case went through. I didn't know any of this backstory or anything. Oh, yeah. So. Well, uh, and of course, the the fact that the Justice Department was taking aggressive actions helped set up the series of lawsuits that right. followed against do, the drug companies who were duplicitous in all this. And and we're breaking you, laws, by the way. Do we're you think laws. that something similar might happen sometime in the future with, based on what's going on now, that there's going to be a legal pushback from the government? And I, I know of many cases brewing, and we have been told that the justice, that the House is going to put together a judiciary committee that is going to look into this sort of under the umbrella of excesses or weaponization of the government. But I'm hoping that they really look at what exactly happened here? Who are the players? What did the emails tell us? What They're going to have to really do their research very, very carefully. Now, Elon Musk has done them a remarkable um, favor by getting them off to a running start. <laughs> they have a running start with all the Twitter files. I, they, I mean, that's going to give them direction and people to look at and a lot of evidence already of uh, excesses. And right. You know, the government stepping in and destroying people and affecting their First Amendment, affecting, I'm not sure to what extent they've broken any laws, but affecting uh, First Amendment expressions for profit. Now they have the connection with for profit. And, it, and right. that is, woo, I don't know, I, wild in my world. I've never heard I of I almost think 
I almost think yeah. that even if they can extract all politics out of this and do this as a lawsuit based on false advertising in a way, if these companies uh, were all saying we'll 100% safe and effective for everyone and then used uh, that to convince politicians yeah, I, I, who aren't medical experts to say, well, oh, this is the best yeah, way, that's, then it might, that would be, I, to way, me, the, that seems like the way out for the politicians to say, well, we were lied to with false advertising and then we pushed all these laws yeah. forward and these mandates and yeah. they can whittle yes. their way out of, you know, being culpable that way. And then, I, I, you know, I, I don't know. I have no opinion about it. But but I do believe you're going to find some politicians and some physicians, and uh, I don't know why Susan is on the uh, Rumble rants. She she must be high on her pain medication because she is uh, <laughs> stating I love morphine. I love morphine over and over again oh on maybe, on the Rumble oh rant. No. So Susan, be maybe careful. That's the, that might be the I, fake. I told one. you. I told you to stay off. Oh, is there a is there a fake First Lady of Love? Oh, she okay, told well, me before there's sense, a then. fake one, but wait, actually, that might possibly be her. She might have just pasted it. Hard to tell when she's coming <laughs> off surgical meds. Uh, what's, <laughs> what's her and what's a fake one? So, so uh, if Susan, I mean, uh, oh, she said, oops. All right, so it's probably her. Uh, okay, so so there we are. Uh, history is always a great lesson. Uh, it, history doesn't exactly repeat itself, but certainly those that do not st study history are doomed to repeat the failures of the past. And there is a lot to be learned from looking at the opioid crisis. It, it, and you know, it was so disturbing to me and killed so many of my patients. And still, the um, I, I never forget. I did a town hall with uh, um, Anderson Cooper, and there was a physician in there in the panel talking about the opioid crisis. And the things were just getting turned around at that point. And she goes, yeah, I mean, I was part of the problem. I would give 90 Vicodin every time somebody left the emergency room. That's how I was trained. I thought, oh. you should be falling on your sword. You should be falling on your sword. You should be you should be ashamed and disgusted and trying to set, clean up your side of the street. You, These are horrible mistakes that killed untoward numbers of people and has con, has fueled the opioid crisis today. So just so you know how it all went down with opiates. So, so what happened with physicians, we froze in place. We stopped prescribing. We were fearful of getting criminal, criminally um, uh, assailed. And as opposed to bringing all these patients in who these doctors had made into addicts and sit them down and go, look, I'm, we didn't intend this. I'm now understanding this is more of a problem than I realized. You're addicted to these meds. Neither of us wanted this. We're going to have to get you some treatment. They did not do that. I never heard of any doctor doing that. Instead, what they did is say, you're a bad patient. Get out of here. I can't treat you any longer. And where do you think somebody's addicted to pills goes when he or she is cut off by their supply? They go to the street. And that's what created the heroin epidemic. And then fentanyl just followed in on the heels of that. So there we are. Well done, everybody. It was perpetrated by my profession with the duplicitous input of a drug company, of multiple drug companies, really. And my suspicion is we're going to find something awfully similar, all awfully similar here uh, in this particular crisis. It's complicated, but again, why would you silence questioning? And let's get back to what we've all learned through uh, talking to Dr. Kelly and some of the people she has brought in here. So much of the problem we are in is a result of the rush to bring this drug to market, the vaccines, that is. And I get it. It was an emergency. I understand we took extraordinary risk. But now, can we please go back and fill in with the research that we would normally do? That's not happening. Another interesting point. Uh, I think I mentioned this on one of the streams, one of these shows the other day. 
that I, I'm worried about medical research. Uh, I think I think I pointed this out, but here are my concerns. If you remember the Danish mask study, it was a great study. It was an excellent large-scale, well-powered, randomized control trial. Not perfect, but a good study. Lots of excitement. It was going to come out in the New England Journal. Suddenly, it's not coming. Then I hear it's going to come out in JAMA. Then it's not coming. Finally gets pu published in Annals of Internal Medicine. It's a negative study. It shows that masks mandates don't do anything. Similar things have been happening. We I keep hearing again and again that people can't get things that aren't part of the narrative put into the mainstream journals. Here's my an experience I had that I've never had in my attacker. I rely on the medical literature. Someone tweeted me uh, an article about multisystem inflammatory disease. I feel like I mentioned this to you guys the other day. And this is that inflammatory condition that happens primarily in adolescence after COVID. It happens after a lot of viral illnesses. And uh, in that in that particular study, they were saying that, well, if there's more than three organ involvement with the inflammation, it's bad outcomes. And this is an exceedingly common condition. I thought, oh my goodness, maybe I've missed this. Maybe this is why they're pushing the vaccine so hard in these younger age groups. Thankfully, I, I thought, wow, this will be great. I can then understand what we're doing with the vaccine in the older age group, still younger age group. Still doesn't answer the sort of 25 to 35 where we're seeing the myocarditis and stuff, but it does answer maybe for the adolescents and maybe young adults. So I went into the literature and after 90 minutes of fishing around and going through reading dozens of studies in high-end journals, peer-reviewed, decent studies, I could not tell whether multi-system inflammatory condition in adolescents and young adults was exceedingly common or exceedingly rare. That's how off-base the literature is. I've never seen anything like that in my career where I literally couldn't tell what was going on by reading the literature. Something is off. Something is very wrong. That's what we call a signal, right? Much like the excess deaths, much like watching NFL your whole life and then seeing somebody drop dead and having people get arrhythmias all around me and seeing myocarditis repeatedly. That's what we call a signal. And understand this, clinical signals, what doctors observe typically precedes research, right? Research is guided by what doctors are seeing and doing. And we are telling you that many of us are worried about a signal. We worried people are afraid to speak up. Don't get me wrong. But everywhere I go, I hear this like muttering about something is up. They're afraid to speak it out loud, but it's there. And research needs to follow it. Follow what the physicians are seeing, that there seems to be something up. And totally prepared to refute our signal. To go, you know what? It's not significant, or it's so rare, or you know, whatever, or it's, it's the risk reward is more on the basis is, is still, still weighs on the side of taking the vaccine versus getting COVID. I am completely prepared to, to look at that literature and, and sort of conclude that that's what I'm seeing. In the meantime, almost no, no, nobody goes after the question about what, what are we seeing? Why are we seeing it? What's going on? Why the clinical signal? What we see is first denying of the signal, which denial does not help me. It doesn't help. It's like, there's something going on. What is it? Help us to find it. And then describe why it's happening. Could be COVID plus vaccine. Could be COVID. Could be vaccine. Or some of it could be both, right? Some of the sudden deaths could be due to the COVID and some of it could be the vaccine. It could be separate populations. Something is up 
and it needs to be answered. And we need to be able to A, render informed consent to our patients so we know how to answer those questions, and B, make help the patients make the best choice for them. Safest choice, best choice. All right, so here's what I want to do. Um, somebody's saying Steve Kirsch went off on Jimmy Dore yesterday. What did uh, Steve say? What did he say? And the MDs need to listen to, I'm reading your tweets here, your stream here, restream. Listen to and believe what the patients are reporting. Yes, yes, I agree with you. Uh, thank you, guys. So, uh, hold on, I'm reading your, your stream here. Let me go over to the rants where I can see Susan talking about her love of morphine. Yep, there it is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and we have a, a lot of people lined Doctors up for are, calls, it too. Says, okay, good. It says, doctors are sold out to Big Pharma. How? What, what do you mean sold out? Uh, it's really the insurance companies that control what we do. Big Pharma has almost nothing to do with it, except the evangelists. They financially back the evangelists because they'll tell them to go out and speak and they'll pay for their travel to help them get the regulators to get their evangelical job done. The rest of us have no relationship with Big Pharma. So I don't know how you can ca think that we are captured by Big Pharma. Insurance companies, totally different story. All right, take a break. We are coming back with your calls. Genucil has so many products that Susan and I love. Their XV Moisturizer locks in moisture, making dry spots a thing of the past, which is especially great with the colder weather, of course. And with the immediate effects, too, you can see these results in as little as 12 hours. Guaranteed or your money back. Susan loves Genucel's Vitamin C Serum, the new deep-correcting serum with lactic acid that hydrates your skin and reduces fine lines while preventing future wrinkles from forming. Don't believe me? Listen to Susan. I am a snob when it comes to using products on my face. The dermatologist makes a ton of money from me. But when I was introduced to Genucel, I was so happy because it's so affordable and it works great. I was introduced to the Ultra Retinol Cream, which I love at night. All the eye creams are amazing. People notice my skin all the time, and I'm so excited because it's actually working. Take advantage of this New Year's promotion by going to Genucel.com and getting 60% off now with a complimentary gift set when you subscribe to my favorite package at Genucel.com slash Drew. All orders are upgraded to free shipping for the rest of the season. Use code DREW at checkout for an extra 10% off your entire order. That is genucel.com slash DREW, G-E-N-U-C-E-L dot com slash D-R-E-W. My guest is Philip Patrick. He is a precious metal specialist, trains at University of Redlands. He has spent years as a wealth manager at Citigroup, and his current position is with Birch Gold Group. So gold has always been uh, somewhat of a safe haven, particularly in times of great turmoil. Uh, much like our present moment, I imagine. Gold has always traditionally been a safe haven asset. Gold specifically has, has always been about wealth preservation, right? Gold has always held its buying power. You can look at as far back as you'd like in history. In biblical times, one ounce of gold would buy somebody 400 loaves of bread. And today it does the same thing. So it's a store of value. But I would say in times like this, as you mentioned, it's particularly important when you're dealing with things like 40-year high inflation, uh, you know, the air that's coming out of a stock market bubble. These times in particular tend to drive gold and silver up quite significantly. If things are different, the solution needs to be different as well. So I encourage everyone to get informed. And we have a lot of good information here to help your listeners. Just a reminder, I am not a financial advisor and I do not give out financial advice nor investing advice.
Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of satisfied customers. Check them out now. Visit birchgold.com slash Drew and secure your future with gold. Do it now. All right, we are back, and we are going straight out to the phones. I see lots of you are patiently waiting there, so let me get to it. Uh, this is uh, Lisa trying to get some people who have not previously get a chance to speak, see what they have on their mind. Uh, Lisa, just there you are. Go right ahead. Hi, Dr. Drew, a longtime follower of yours. Um, you. A quick history on myself here. I'm 64, and I had the J&J &J vaccine mm -hmm. on March 23rd of 20, uh, January 21. Mm -hmm. I got a blood clot, a DVT in my leg on April 14th, which was a few weeks after that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so I obviously did not get any more uh, vaccines. Good. I lost, I lost my brother uh, this past November. Um, he was 76. He was everything to me. And he wanted me to start over with the uh, mRNA vaccines. And I'm pretty educated in this. Mm -hmm. And, of course, I didn't do it. Um, he wants you to. He wants you to start over. Yes. And you're and, 64. Is that what you said? Yes. Yeah. And and mm. I and I honestly I I fought with him on it, but here's the thing: he had a tooth pulled two days before he passed away. Mm. He was ill. He you know he was in dialysis, mm. but when I was speaking to him, he had massive clots coming out of that socket. Mm that I could hardly understand him. Mm -hmm. And I, I said to him, I said, do you want me to come up and take you to the hospital? And he's like, no, I'm going to dialysis tomorrow. I'll go to the dentist the next day. Mm -hmm. Okay. He went to dialysis. He Now he's on blood thinners, remember? Right. So that's why he was having the problem. They, they didn't properly adjust his blood thinner. And, you know, that's not good. So, and then, then you could argue that, well, his blood count, or, you know, he's in dialysis, so his blood count may be low already. Then he fell further, and that can precipitate a heart attack, even in, without vaccine. So, you know, it's awful. So you don't think the blood clots coming out of his mouth had anything to do with the blood clots that I, I are related think, to the vaccine? I, I No, absolutely not. Blood, blood clots okay. were coming out of his mouth because he was bleeding excessively because of the Coumadin or the Pradax or whatever the hell he was on, heparin, and the, that was causing him to bleed excessively. And they were then it was clotting as it came out because it was so much. It's like when people bleed a lot, the blood clots, and that's unfortunate. And for somebody on dialysis his age, it's a very big deal. I mean, he should have gone to the emergency room just with that. Uh, let me bring in my friend Shivan. 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 Sorry. Uh, unmute yourself. Let's get. Let's have at it. Hey, how are you? How are you, my friend? Excellent. What's happening? Um, nothing much. So, um. Really like what you said about um, the uh, opioid crisis. Did, did you live through that? It, did you live through that like I did? I did. And yeah. that's, a, I, I was going to tell you, uh, I had just begun practicing 2004 mm. uh, ish, and I used to get detailed by Purdue Pharma mm. uh, reps. Mm. And for whatever reason, I've always been mortified. Like the idea that you could take something that was essentially an analog of morphine, long acting and give it. And you, we'd always be told stuff like, hey, you know, you don't need to worry because it's yeah. long acting. It has low they, addiction they, potential. They, they, they literally, that that's what they were selling. It. They, there, was, there was pain management had two or three articles 
that that in the entire discipline was based on it was something called the Porter and Jick letter, which essentially, yes. you know, it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. It was insane. And we're doing this. We're, I, we're, I worry we are doing the same thing now. So in any yeah. event, back, yeah, I, I back before, you know, now you, nowadays you would never bring a drug company into your office. You would never get near them. You never, you know, that's just yeah. the way we are now. But back then they came in and would detail us. And uh, I literally had to throw them out when they started telling me they had a non-addictive opiate. I was like, "There's no such thing. Get the get it, get the f out of here. Just stop it. Don't don't insult me." You know, Upjohn did that to me with Xanax in 1988. 1988. Wow. They insisted and said that I saw a patient have a seizure and I was a mess. It was just in the early days of Xanax, and um, we didn't know how to withdraw them or anything yet. And Upjohn went, "Oh, that's just her anxiety disorder that she had before before her great medicine cured her." I was like, "Get out yeah. of here. Get out. Nope. Get out." So. So, you know, the, the practice that I took over, they literally were giving like a bunch of people were coming into the practice only for opiate prescriptions. Oh, that's, and not, that's terrible. Over time, I, I slowly like, you know, I'd send them to a pain specialist, but I still remember like it was yesterday because the other thing that many people don't realize at for a few years, and I couldn't tell you exactly how many, mm. but uh, the Joint Commission used to be called JACO. Yep had language talking about pain as the fifth vital well, sign. No, no, listen, I, not language. I, I, ran, I was the medical director of a drug unit, and I had to, I had to do the JCO th review every three years, and the language was explicit. If you didn't have the happy face scale there every four hours, yep. you would not get JCO approval. And what do you think my heroin addicts were? You think they were happy face for three days? They were unhappy face. Nope. And they would, Jacob exactly. would come in and said, why didn't you give him opiates? Why didn't you give Did, him painkillers? Unbelievable. And, and, and Joint Commission later basically came out and said, we never said that. And oh, you can still, BS. You can still see that archive. Yeah, and I, yeah, BS. I, I, I lived it. I lived it. Language. At least yeah. two or three rounds of Jacob were all about it. All about it. Yeah. So and and you know uh, and just to segue, I'll I'll pitch out. I wrote an article uh, in Human Events a few months ago. It's pinned to. It's on my pinned tweet about the entirety of the fentanyl crisis. I highly recommend people just go and look at it. It's exactly what you said. Fentanyl is taking the. It's filling the void yeah. of these individuals that have no place to go. And there's a bunch of stuff that a bunch of people are doing, but I think, yeah. you know, this thing is going to get much, much worse before well, it starts getting better. And the, what breaks my heart is I know how to treat this. I, I know exactly what to do. It's not that hard. You need a continuum of care. You can't just, you know, put them somewhere for three days or five days or a month or just put them in a hotel. You have to have a continuum of care across six to 12 months. And it's not that expensive compared to what they're spending already, but it kills yeah. me. Just in the streets of L.A. County alone, it's seven are dying a day. L.A. County. And that's just L.A. County. So, all right, I got lots of yeah, questions. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw you back in, okay? Last comment? Thank you. Want to say a little more yes, last comment? Yeah. One last comment. Yeah. Do you Have you heard the name Sapan Desai? No, tell me. Okay. So uh, this is kind of, um, I'm segueing a little bit, but in... Um, <sighs> June June of 2020, there came a series of very high impact factor journal articles written by a gentleman by the name, a physician by the name of Sapan Desai on hydroxychloroquine and mm. ivermectin. Mm. All of them were retracted. Of course. Uh, I, 
very few people even know that this happened. And yeah. this is sort of this is this is stuff that people don't realize. This was uh, one article claimed that hydroxychloroquine was associated with higher cardiovascular mortality. The mm -hmm. other was uh, talking about how ivermectin uh, basically was not effective. And all of the, this gentleman wrote at least two really important articles. And over the last year, they have gone back and looked at a bunch of articles. All of them were completely fabricated. Yes, of course. The how about how about that Lancet, that Lancet catastrophe? Exactly. That, you know, I mean, there were many, many, many. Again, this yeah. is part of the evangelical excesses. Those people think they're saving humanity. It's really, woo. Okay, thank you, sir. Good to talk to you. Mm, whoops, wrong thing. Um, Amanda, I believe this is. Amanda, let's get her up here. Hi. Hey there. Hi, Dr. Drew. I've right. never sp uh, spoken with you before, but I'm honored to. So thank you Pleasure. for having me up. Pleasure. Um, I just want to go back on what you were just talking about with um, the Xanax problem. Mm. Um, I had a GP, so I'm 34 now, so 10 years, no, like 12 years ago. She would just um, ask me if I felt anxious, had sleeping issues, and she was just prescribing me the highest the highest dose of Xanax at the time that she can get. So it was um, one milligram four times a day needed yep. or yep. as needed. Right. I'm and then wrong. also um, Zolpidem, 10 milligrams nightly is needed. Which is, so you had, uh, you had Xanax and Ambient. Got it. What's the question? Yeah. Um, how, what are, I know she's more of an old school doctor, but she really messed up um, yes. a lot of my 20s. Yes. I don't remember a lot of it. I'm sure. Um, I made mistakes I know. that I, I regret. I, 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 obviously, I'm not like that anymore. Yeah. But you, I just. Uh, you want to know what you can do or what do you want to know? Well, I know right now my psychiatrist actually got me off of it. Good. Well cold done. turkey, but she had to use clonopin, but now I'm off that. Good. There are various ways uh, to do it, but that's fine. I mean, look, you're yes. you can you can call back to that. <laughs> there we go. You can Sorry. you can call back to that doctor. Acute. And you can let them know, leave even an anonymous message. Here's what happened to me. I want you to learn from this. Or you can sue them, but a lot of a lot of time has gone on past since since that whole experience. And the reality is that it, it wouldn't take it's it's not outside of the law to do this not all doctors understand what they're doing uh the, she is you know doing things that are excessive but i bet she would find experts that could defend what she did even though you and i know how devastating it is and you know in my world if you're strung out on that much xanax i mean remember shelly from uh, celebrity rehab with the blonde hair and the glasses she was in and out of psychiatric hospitals for like 18 months. Turned out the whole thing was Xanax withdrawal. And she was given five different diagnoses across those 18 months. Some of them like devastating, like life-ruining diagnoses. In locked units, out of locked units, all Xanax withdrawal. So don't, let's not minimize how serious that is. Uh, this is, let's get Christy up here. Christy, what's going on? Sorry, I've got to go quickly through over the calls here, guys. Appreciate you stepping up though. Hey, Dr. Drew. Hey, what's new? Hey, I know we got to go fast. Hope you're doing well, Susan. Oh, <laughs> I just have a, a couple announcements really quick and then maybe a question. Great. Is that okay? Fine. All right. I got a FOIA in a series 
Aaron Series legal team is helping me punch it through because the FDA is pushing back. So I just oh. wanted to let people know. Already, it sounds like a good thing if they're pushing back. I want to know uh, what's the going FDA on. FDA pushed back immediately. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. What what is that? What are you looking for? Or can you say? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Because it's public, and uh, I posted it too, and I I can send it to you. So, uh, if for people to just not talk about the science, just imagine you got your blood analyzed in every way possible. Hmm. I put in a request for. Uh, the proteomics and the analysis of both the RNA and the LMP, Western blots, Agilent files, fragment analysis, things we've talked about, any heterogeneity observed between vials. Uh, and, I also and, asked for that. You're going to find exactly what your group found, right? I mean, could it be anything else? In the UK and Australia that they already found, yes. And then I also asked for, so I asked for a whole year's worth of data. Mm. I'll, I'll pay for it. I don't care. And then it's, it's a lot of money. I also asked for specific batch numbers that I grabbed off of the where's my batch.com website that are correlated to high. Oh, that's interesting. SA, oh, that would be fantastic. high death rates. Boy, oh and boy. then I asked, Woo. and then I asked for control batches as well that I found that did not have any adverse events associated to them. And then I also asked for all of the above information for any special batches they held back for the employees for Pfizer in the U.S. Wow, good for you. That that is going to yield something. I don't know what, but it's gonna. There's going to be some interesting stuff there. Uh, Christy, you're you're uh, you're doing God's work. <laughs> uh, thanks. Uh, yeah, and I, I'm in. Like I think I messaged you that I'm also consulting with Siri and their firm to help them with their existing litigations because I know so much of this stuff. Well, so Christy is a, a, a out of the biotech world, and she particularly works with the, uh, the nanoparticles and the proteins and the mRNAs, and she has a lot of experience in data. Sort of so to her, all this stuff is very routine, as I think you've expressed, Christy. And yet yeah. we can't even get the routine data to figure out what's going on here. And the extent that people have, now correct me if I'm wrong, but the it has been addressed once publicly. And when they addressed it, they said it enhanced the immune response. And yet they had no data to back that up, right? Uh, if you're talking about the lipid nanoparticle. No, I'm really talking about the the scatter on uh, on protein protein fragments. Right, right. That, that they said if it was a fragment that was from the EMA, that it would result in an antibody response. But they didn't cover everything else that can happen with a fragment, and they kind of brushed it off. Like right. you can have interactions and right. And nor, nor did they have stuff. data. No, they actually said that it's a broader immune response, implying that it's a better immune response. And they have no research to suggest that. It's insane. But that's just that was just rhetoric. But anyway, Christy, I'm going to put you back in. Thank you so much. Good luck. Hey, thank you. you Thanks, Dr. Drew. You bet. Uh, all right. Uh, see Benji Bronk in there. At least you were in there. I don't know if you are still there, my friend. You can come on up if you want. Um, okay. Got lots of people requesting in here, so hang with me here, guys. Okay, Darren. There he goes. Hi, Darren. What's going on? Darren, Darren, Darren Aquino. There you Dr. are. Dr. Drew. Hey, sir. Dr. Drew. Um, I grew up with rheumatic fever. Mm. I had polio. Mm. The reason I'm getting to this is I had COVID twice. Mm. I had the first one real bad where it affected my respiratory in March. 
And with all the stress of campaigning, as you can see, I'm as a candidate. Now, I just had a test. They did the angiogram. They found two blockages and the leaks from the um, rheumatic fever right. in all the three valves. Right. Now they're saying I need major heart surgery. Right. And I'm thinking, why can't they clear the blockage? Because what I've been experiencing that made me go was a shortness of breath. Yeah, Darren, there's a couple things. So so you have to have your valves replaced, right? So you're gonna they're going to be in there repairing the valves anyway. And there's various technical ways to go, depending on which valves we're talking about and whether they, you know, kind of valve replacement and whether they do it surgically or otherwise but you're you how old are you 62 yeah i i mean there are various ways of approaching it but i'm sure they want to do it open because you said there are more than one valve involved uh, yeah there, there's a 75 percent blockage and a 50 percent but the three major valves the mitro the aorta yeah. and the other one had the leaks yeah but everybody says with the leaks i can that's 20 years it, it they, depends. they gave me this medicine again for, to slow the no, blood no, down. understand no it, it decreases the pressure the heart pushes again so the leaking backwards is less but right it depends how much leakage so and then if you have coronary artery disease on top of that which is the the blood supply to the muscle now this starts to get kind of serious this is sort of, sort of a, an extraordinary setting for coronary disease uh and my bet is you have you have the, it's what's called proximal disease. You have disease way upstream where if something happens, it will really kill off a bunch of heart. And so there are certain proximal lesions that have to be dealt well, don't have to be dealt with surgically, but but often are recommended for surgery. And with the valves, I think you're sort of you're sort of in this. I don't see how you get away from surgery. I just don't see how you. The, the avoid next it. part is this. What about now? I'm concerned about these blood thinners. People said you can get this cow valve, the pig valve, but a mechanical valve is not good because that would be a problem down the line. Right. I'm a little afraid. Yeah, I I'm get it. I, this is this. I, I understand. I understand, my friend. This is this is major, major, major surgery. Uh, I will tell you in good hands, the outcomes are usually excellent. The blood thinners are, unless you're, you know, unless you're an acrobat, uh, you know, it's not going to be that big a deal. Uh, it depends on which blood thinners they they pick. But, uh, you know, for some of them, you have to get adjusted regularly and watched. And it, it, it's, I, you know, I would say most of my patients are on blood thinners these days. Uh, so it's very, very common to need blood thinners. So, uh, and again, there's an interesting sort of, Steve Kirsch might want to jump on this. The fact that I have so many patients on blood thinners, I wonder if that changed the risk profile of the vaccine to the patients I'm seeing. Maybe that made them less prone to things like stroke and whatnot. Uh, let's get uh, Theodora. Up here, uh, Teodora, Teodora. Oh my goodness, I have lots of requests here. I'm gonna have to get to it. Hello. Hi, Teodora, what's going on? Yes, hi, I have uh, two quick uh, questions. Mm -hmm. One is I debate folks a lot who uh, still recommend the COVID-19 vaccine for children mm -hmm. um, in the schools here in New York State. Mm -hmm. It's still a very aggressive policy, and mm -hmm. unfortunately, we still have a bill just came to New York legislature uh, for recommending, um, you know, mandating basically that in the schools. How do you debate those folks? <laughs> and the second question was um, any relationship between someone who's had um, the Pfizer, um, both vaccines and then a booster and uh, has cancer. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks. So the people are, there is concern about, it's not so much causing cancer, but whether or not it's affecting the immune system in such a way that the surveillance of cancer is altered and cancer can blossom 
more. So there's a theory, I've seen no good evidence to substantiate this, but people are throwing around the idea that somehow cancer is progressing more rapidly because of the vaccine. I don't know. Uh, certainly in the all-cause mortality group, we're seeing a lot of cancers. I don't know. I don't know if it's from the vaccine. I don't know if it's from COVID. I don't, I don't know. There is some good evidence that COVID also, for sure, does something like that. So mm, I don't know. Uh, that's something that has to be kind of sorted out. Again, a question has got to be answered. As far as the kids, I, I, just, I just don't get it. I, I just don't understand. The risk to kids is so remote. What I think, I, I keep worrying that I'm missing the risk tolerance in pediatric populations. So in, in elder populations, we maybe risk is a little more tolerated or something. I, 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 I'm not sure. I, the fact that there's such aggressive policy around kids and mandates, I, I just don't understand it. We don't have the data. I would say at the moment, follow Vinay Prasad, V-I-N-A-Y, P-R-A-S-A-D. He has got lots and lots of data up on his Twitter feed uh, about... Let's see, somebody tell me what Vinay's uh, Twitter handle is. You can maybe put it up. I'm looking it Caleb. up. He's been on the show a number of times. He's got a lot of data up, a lot of tweets up about vaccinating kids and college kids and concerns about that. So you can use his data. And if I were really worried about this, I would think about getting an attorney. And I'm certain there are other parents out there that are similarly concerned doing the same thing. I just am not aware of it. So what it's it's V Prasad. M-D-M-P-H, right? Am I getting that right? V yes, that's Prasad, correct. P-R-E-S-A-D, M-D-M-P-H. So go, go do follow him. Go look at his threads. It's all in there. He's a brilliant physician, brilliant reader of medical literature, and uh, able to sort out so much of the stuff that is so confusing. Okay, so here we go, everybody. Benji, you sure you want to come up here? Uh, I don't know. I'm sure I'm hard to uh, figure out who to bring up at this point. There's a bunch of people here. Uh, David, what's going on? I think. David. Hey, Dr. Drew, thanks for bringing me up. So just quick background on myself, a uh, military officer. So these opinions are my own. I uh, do not represent the DOD or the uh, United States Air Force. Hey, the one thing I want to bring up, I know you talk about mandates often. Mm -hmm. um, and, I don't know if you saw on January 11th, they renewed the emergency declaration for COVID. Mm -hmm. And now there's a legal reason they did that. And this is kind of, this is, I know when people hear this for the first time, it's hard to believe, but we still don't have any licensed vaccines in the United States. Right. What they did was they, okay, you are tracking. Yeah. So because of we, because we don't have licensed vaccines, the mandate, the mandates, all of them, um, essentially we're unlawful executive overreach. Uh, and we're actually suing, we're suing the department of defense. Well, we're making some headway and, uh, just wanted to put that stuff on your radar. And, you know, when we're, when we're having the medical debate, like I said, I think it's important also to have the legal conversation well, that uh, yeah, everything I, we've done. I think a lot of this is going to get sorted out in the courts. Are you, are you using, I'm blanking on her name to, uh, the physician from the Air Force who was so gravely concerned about her pilots. We interviewed oh, Dr. Dr. Teresa. Yes. Yeah. Yes, Teresa Long. Yeah. Teresa Long. Yeah. I, I'm not sure. Oh, very, I think she might be giving expert witness. She's very I know good. Mc, or McCola might be. I think Dr. Malone is giving us expert witness. Who's that? Who else? Jay. 
Bhattacharya. Bhattacharya. Yes, J. Bhattacharya. Yeah, Bhattacharya is going to be one of the poster children of the excesses of this pandemic. Uh, yeah. How this, he was treated was just reprehensible. Just unbelievable. Right, right. I mean, we're really seeing, what we're seeing is um, Anthrax 2.0. I don't know how familiar you are with that uh, legislation as well when they mandated. That was the first EUA that they mandated illegally. Uh, and the attorney, actually, that fought that mandate is the attorney fighting this case, Dale Saran. Yeah, amazing history, you know, Marine helicopter pilot turned uh, JAG officer. Uh, his case, you know, back then when they took on these anthrax guys, everybody thought they were going to lose. They took the case all the way up to the Supreme Court. And that's when uh, we had the when Congress put into law, like, hey, you know, you can't mandate uh, unlicensed emergency well, use authorization. Now there's fear. So there's fear. I, I, I don't I, I've heard these arguments. I'm not an advocate for these arguments. A, mm -hmm. that the reason any of the early treatments that have been advocated were so silenced was that the only way to have an emergency use authorization is if yes. there are no other effective treatments, number one. And then Dr. Number Drew, it's so refreshing right. for you to say these things because these we've been we've been making these points. Okay. But, okay. Uh, and then number out. two, then number two, why the push to get the vaccine on the children's vaccine schedule of routine vaccinations? Well, the reason for that, some are arguing, is once it gets put on that schedule, it now is permanently devoid of liability. It, it, at that point, Correct. liability is expunged from then on. And it's concerning. I mean, it's an argument you hear and you go, whoa. Because if, if I really understood why the vaccines were so clearly beneficial to kids at no risk, I, I would be very skeptical of those arguments, but because they're being pushed so aggressively with no clear benefit, I mean, COVID is so rarely problematic for kids. I, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't get it. I mean, or, or maybe I, I even, go ahead. Even in the military too, you know, we have, we, the only, the only reason the secretary of defense stopped the mandate is because Congress had to force him to stop. Mm. And so what we're seeing by the way, is that some of the, some of the folks that were scheduled to be separated, they're going to the separation hearings. They haven't canceled them. They've postponed. They've they've postponed them. Mm. So this is a you know what I'm trying to put on people's radars: public policy versus shadow policy. Uh, when you know Secretary of Defense says, "Oh, he respects religious freedoms." Meanwhile, the only folks in the military that were getting their religious accommodations approved were guys that were already separating. Their careers were over. They were already yeah. had one foot out the door. Yep. Just for you know, just for public's sake to, to say, hey, we're approving them, but it's just been a wild mess. And, it's a wild I think mess. You were, Go ahead. You, you, were, you know, too, like military age guys, we're not a threat for COVID, yet we vaccinated 96 to 98%. So if it's as dangerous as we think it is, that's a ticking time bomb waiting to happen. D didn't I see something? I don't, again, I, there's so much no noise out there that uh, a couple of airlines are requiring pilots to have EKGs uh, because of the concerns about the vaccine. Yeah. Yeah, Steve Kirsch just posted a Substack about it, checking uh, with the FAA. Suddenly, um, they're adding EKGs to their to the to the medical screenings. But let me tell you something interesting about that too. The, per the FAA regulations, pilots, because of our health and everything, uh, the drug has to be any kind of treatment, any kind of drug has to be right. licensed on the market for right. a whole year yeah. before you can mandate its use. But I mean, we just lost our mind in this pandemic. Like you mentioned the whole fear thing. Yeah. Uh, and the, the FAA said, oh, yeah, you guys are grounded for two days. If you get injected, don't you'll be fine. And then the Air Force just followed suit.
it's it's very weird. It, it's it. This is not normal. Something is not going right. But thank yeah, you, David. Yeah. Good luck with that. Keep me keep us thank posted you. on how it goes. Thank you. Thanks it, for having me. It, it's just it's just so wild. All right, let me. I'm gonna keep going. I just so much of this feels <laughs> like nothing I've ever experienced before. That that's all. Just uh, hard to hard to. All right, we get Sylvia up here. See what she's uh, interested in talking about. Appreciate these calls, everybody. Uh, let's see what they, we have. Some tweets up there too. Feeling? Uh, I'm not sure what Lynn is saying up there. Sylvia, what's going on? Hi there. Hi, Doctor Drew. Oh, yay! Okay, real quick. I know you're you're rushing through this. I've been wanting to ask you this for two weeks. Okay. okay. Good. So everyone is like. With the kids at first, you know how they're changing the story 50,000 times. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, it was a lockdown. That's why all the kids are sick now. RSV, flu, mm -hmm. you know, all this stuff. But now I'm reading that they're finding out more and more. Some scientists, I just want to hear your input on this, that maybe COVID is creating, whether it's the vax or you get it, our immunity to go down and the kids not being vaxxed or getting COVID over and over and over yeah. that it's taken a toll on their immunity. I've yes. read it. So I know you probably, no, that, that is, that is a theory. That is a yeah. theory. And, and, and so the question is, I I'm prepared to accept that, but no one, no one has addressed whether or not the, va the vaccine adds to that or the vaccine is equivalent to that or worse than that. And that that's the problem. What, what's the risk reward? Yeah. I do have concerns that COVID does all kinds of things to our system. It, it does. I mean, the, to say that it doesn't yeah. is, is false. It does. And whether or not repeated episodes are going to have some as yet undocumented effect on our immune system, I, I guess it's possible. It doesn't look like that's really happening. It really doesn't. In fact, it look, you know, some of the data that's coming out looks more like the vaccine pushes things down a little bit more than natural immunity does re repeatedly. I, I know myself, I've noticed that when I'm around COVID, I don't get it. My immune system seems to be doing very well and I've got a shitty immune system when it comes to viruses. And it feels, it seems like I'm doing pretty well uh, these days. Uh, and I had, you know, COVID a couple of times, bad one time, and I was vaccinated once and maybe that extra vaccine really helped me. I, I, I'm not sure I wouldn't get booster because I had a terrible reaction to the vaccine, as I've discussed before. But, but I, know, I know you know that kids are like, they get sick. I get it. I know that's your input on it. I totally respect that. But don't you think this is crazy how sick these kids are getting? Like, I have a friend that is a teacher assistant. She's like, Sylvia, there's days we go to school, nobody's there. Mm. Like, it's wiped out the complete class. Uh, th like, that, you know what I mean? They're definitely... Definitely viruses are up. It may have nothing to do with COVID and more to do that we haven't okay. been challenged, more that we're, we're not challenging our immune system. Or it may be that everybody's freaking panicking every time a kid gets a sore throat and keeping them home in case it's COVID, right? I mean, okay. there's a lot of lot of unanswered questions, but I share your concern. I really do. And, and, I, okay. and the fact that I can't give you a real clear answer that I feel is a clear answer, I, I, that's scandalous to me. It's really not good. Uh, all right. So Corey, let's come up. We'll get Corey a chance to come up. You know, you guys, when you have scary pictures on your, uh, on your profile, it makes me, it makes me move a little bit towards somebody who looks less scary to me. I must tell you. So, so I'm not sure scary profile pictures are really a good strategy, but, uh, Corey, what's up? I have to be honest. That's that's the way my because I, I have thirty people to choose from, and uh, somebody with fire coming out of their eyes that worries me more than more than Corey. Corey, what's up? 
Um, yeah. On the 13th, I went to the ER for chest pains and they did a EKG and that came back good. And then they did a, tro- a troponin level. Mm. The first reading was 15 and then the second reading was 11. And they prescribed sucrophate, one gram for 10 ml suspension. Um, Of course, I also have a history of acid reflux. Right. What what is the question? I I get what they're doing. What's the question? Well, on the sucrophate, it says take for chest pains or stomach pain. Yeah, they're telling you, they're telling you, you don't have a heart problem. You have an esophagus problem. That's their opinion. Okay. 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 All right. Sorry about that. But uh, the, the troponins are concerning in this day of uh, mild troponin elevation after vaccine and it implying maybe some myocarditis, but in and of itself, in an, in an assessment with a normal EKG and other, you know, other parameters negative, I can't, you know, they're telling you not to worry about it. now you should go see your doctor for sure. You get a definitive, you know, get up on a treadmill and get definitive workup for sure. So don't, don't neglect that. I, I, you might be being just sort of, you know, it's it's sort of ER's move is to make sure you not have an imminent disaster and then refer, refer you back to your doctor. There still can be trouble. Uh, there was somebody had something interesting here I wanted to get to. I'm sorry. I'm... Okay. Uh, boy, you guys are tiring me out a bit here. Let's see what I've got. It's jumping around a bit. All right, I'm, I'm going to tell... Uh, oh, no, I know. I'm sorry. Hold on, hold on. Winston. What's going on, Winston? I think the name's Winston. Yeah, Winston. Hey there. Hey, what's happening, Dr. Drew? Um, just wanted to ask a, a question of you and kind of get your... You know, over the past, like, I'd say, really eight months, I've I've watched you kind of, like deal with these red pills in a suppository manner. Like it's, it's been kind of a rough, <laughs> tough sledding for you. It's, it's not, it's, it's no different than any other. It, it is, but it, it's like the medical, like I've been saying, hubris is the enemy. We should not be certain of anything. We should be pretty ready to adjust based on currently available knowledge. Um, the, the only what's come into focus for me is these areas where we need some questions answered and they're not being asked. And that's deeply, deeply troubling. I mean, the further we get from this thing, we're going to get that kind of rational hindsight. And of course that's part of the human condition and and X, Y, and Z, but it it just seems like honestly, like from a management standpoint, it's, it's just a complete farce how it's been done by any, any semblance of government, public health, anything like we've really done the wrong thing. I, I agree. I think, I think the justice, I think when the house judiciary community digs into this, there's going to be tremendous revelation, tremendous. And I just, I mean, it seems like you're, I don't want to say like, I, again, like idealistic or whatnot. I think like maybe faith, you have more faith than I do. And I'm just, yeah, I, I, do. I don't want to be the and, CD cynic. And and you could say I'm naive too. Right. And and that's a legitimate, that's a reasonable, uh, it's a reasonable complaint. Uh, I, you got to understand, I'm, I'm looking at it from the standpoint of care of patients. Right. So I have a particular perspective on this where I'm, I'm want to be making, like, I think it's extraordinary that we were able to come up with these treatments They're, whatever you want to call them, jazz, Bingo. Whatever, you know, <laughs> I like uh, it. whatever you want to call them. And my job is to figure out how to best use them to ha- help people. In the meantime, 
there are all these crazy mandates and excessive recommendations that are confusing to me. And maybe this is where I, I might look naive. So rather than going, well, that just, I, I'm not taking a position and maybe I should. So, so that's, that's a legit, you know, I should be saying, Hey, based on everything I'm seeing, what the F are we doing here? This is crazy. Is it? That's exactly right. Instead, that's instead I'm saying, I, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to keep my verisimilitude intact or whatever word you want to call it. There's my, my, uh, that Sir William also used to call it, uh, there's a word for it, uh, and, and try to, you know, rather than take a, a super strong position, just prepare for the data as it comes in. Cause it is loud and confusing. I got to tell you, it's, it's not as though I can say anything with great clarity. It just looks like something is really wrong. And well, you're a doctor too, so it would make sense to you. I'm a moron, so it's not going to make sense to me. But like, you're going to quote Sir William. I'll quote like an old South Park episode where we don't take kindly, and somebody keeps going, "Naskeeter, he ain't hurting anybody." You seem like that kind of Naskeeter. Like you're, you're really going. Uh, I'm trying hard for them. Like I, you're. I, I'm trying. I'm trying to thread the needle. I'm trying to thread the needle. And, and look, it's a delicate art. It, there's there's horrible stuff coming coming through on the Twitter files constantly. And, and, like and, and, and let me tell you, the, the opioid epidemic was a catastrophe. And I believe this is going to be the same, look the same in the rearview mirror. But are there going to be tons of smoking guns? I bet not. I bet the smoking guns are going to be very specific. And these people have had far-reaching effect reverberating on everybody else and have done untoward harm because of it. I don't even think the opiate comparison is a fair one, Doc, and, and for the simple reason we didn't force opiates onto five-year-olds. Yeah, My childhood yeah. would have been a lot better if we yeah, did. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> you're <laughs> no, you're right. It's it's uh, that, that's fair enough, and uh, it, it is it's on a larger scale. That's for sure, much larger My scale. Go ahead. My question for you would be this. I mean, do you have like a mental demark point? Because I've watched and it's been getting more and more damning as the weeks have come yeah. come by. Yeah. So I would ask you, like, I mean, again, like the thing with Scott Gottlieb, everybody knew that guy was a shitbag from yeah. the jump. I mean, yeah. former FDA Pfizer board member. Oh, weird. Yeah. But do you Shocking. have a mental demark point where you're like, okay, this is clearly too far? It It, it is... It, it, what do you mean? It is clearly too far. Like, like, like somebody, what, is there data that could come out? Some new revelation come to light to where you would be like, okay, that's it. My darkest fears are, are confirmed. Cause yes, I tend to get yes, the, the yes, feeling. Yes. So, okay. so here's what I need to know. Uh, are there excess deaths and is there a sudden death syndrome? Is that happening? Okay. Okay. Yes or no. Is that happening? Cause every time I think I see yes, I see data that says no. And I told you earlier about an hour ago, I was talking about my experiencing dig, digging through the medical literature and, and, being unable to get the answer on a simple question because the medical literature is adulterated right now. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know exactly how it's happening, but something is wrong. So answer that question. Is there a sudden death syndrome? Is there ex excess all-cause mortality? Yes or no? If it is, is it COVID or is it the vaccine or is it both? Yeah, which and why and what's the mechanism? Prepared to accept both. But if it is the vaccine at all, Show me the risk reward analysis. So, so those are the three things I need. I need is this thing happening that I think is happening? Is it caused by COVID or vaccine? And then whatever that answer, what give me the risk reward analysis on the vaccine. That's it. Very simple. 
Right. I mean, it's a legitimate bar. It's just to, to me, again, like I, I read these white papers and I read all this peer reviewed stuff. And to me, it looks one way, but again, with no, you know, proper medical no, training, but this I is genuinely a, don't know what I'm looking at. That, that's, but I got to tell you something. I'm sympathetic to what you're saying because the literature is all over the place. It's that, so obfuscated. It, and it seems it's deliberate. something. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I've never seen anything. I, I rely on the medical literature. I've relied on it my entire career. And when I go in and try to answer a simple question and I can't tell if it's way on one end or way on the other, that is a problem. There's something wrong. And so I, I'm worried about that. I'm very worried about that. And so that's another thing that needs to be answered, by the way. Why is that happening and what is it? What am I seeing? I think it's because, I mean, this is, again, I consider you to be one of the, the top doctors in the game. Your 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 birth of knowledge is, is insane to me, but I think as a society, we tend to put doctors on a pedestal, sure. and I think a lot of them are very pedestrian people, to be perfectly honest. I've not had a real, like, knock my socks off interaction with any GP You, you know what it is? It's, ever. It's, that, it's that a lot of them are, they're all smart, they're all well-trained. Sure. But a sure. lot of them are not thinking and just going through a road. I because I used to train. I used to train physicians, and I used to have to scream at them about that a lot. Like think it through, have a backup plan, give me a reasoning, and and sometimes they just couldn't, and I, and they just did it because it was their pride. It was rote. It was something they'd done a million times. Just automata automatons. Yeah, and that's you know, that's like deeply that troubles. That's troubling, and I think this world of algorithms and you know, hospital employees and all this stuff and clinical pathways are making it a lot worse. Winston, I'm putting you back in. Thank you so much, my friend. I appreciate you, Drew. Okay. So, you know, uh, it brings up the issue of the new variant, XB 1.5.1, uh, isn't it? Uh, XXB. Um, I, I don't know what to make of that. There are going to be many more variants as we go along here. That one seems to be not that big a deal. Uh, it's certainly more infectious than the rest. Uh, Catherine, come on up here. Um, and, you know, really highly infectious variants can also help us with our immunity, provided that it's not causing adverse effect. You know, it's not it's worth the immunity for whatever it is the COVID is doing to us uh, on a long term basis. And uh, my sense is that natural immunity is I'm going to take an opinion here based on Winston's coaching that natural immunity is better and safer. I'm going to say that at least better, if not safer. Catherine, what's up? Hi, Dr. Drew. Thanks for uh, taking the question. I just have a little bit of a curiosity question. Mm. When I've heard this before, I read this in RFK's book, when they get the vaccine on the childhood schedule that they are permanently indemnified. Correct. Why is that? Uh, is it more rigorous testing? What is no, it that... No, I, I don't know. It's a law, obviously. There's some some legislation that that permitted that. Why they decided that was a smart thing? I mean, I don't know. I, I, I guess it's because if I, it must be because if you're going to vaccinate, if you're going to give everybody something, there's going to be massive liability. And unless you have a way to protect from that liability, no one's going to produce or create those things that, that are going to be created. Because there's always okay. going to be something. There's a, every time you walk in a doctor's office, you take a risk. And uh, vaccines are not without risk. And if you're doing it to hundreds of millions of people, there are going to be at least hundreds of thousands of problems, if not, let's say tens of thousands, that could be so it extremely has nothing, costly. So it has nothing to do with, for children, there is a requirement to do more rigorous testing or many more years on safety Well, there is, there is more rigorous testing required for vaccines. Usually, <laughs> prior to the present moment, vaccines take years and years to get to the market. Any adverse signals are jumped on 
And yes, they usually are extremely well studied, which is why people are so quick to dismiss concerns about vaccines because look, from the standpoint of the history of medicine, they've done a ton. I mean, they've really gotten people through childhood where people used to routinely die in childhood. Uh, and it, it is, you know, been carefully, carefully tested and in, in millions and hundreds of millions of people have taken these things. Doesn't mean it's without problem. Uh, and the extent to which those problems are real and what they are and how do you give somebody informed consent? I thank God I don't have to do that because I'm not a pediatrician. Catherine, I got to throw you back in here. Thank you so much. Okay, uh, so thanks. thank you everybody. Go ahead. Drew, Kayla. I actually have a question that might kind of follow on to that as well. So I was yeah. prescribed a medication and I was reading the mm -hmm. sheet that comes along with it. And it says directly in there that the mechanism of action is unknown. So how are these drugs and medications getting approved when they don't even know how they work? What are the steps behind sometimes, that? Sometimes, sometimes they have a, a su suspicion what the mechanism of action is or have evidence of certain things going on, but they may not look, we don't know for sure how antidepressants work. That, right. that, yeah, was, that, I, the whole story about yeah. the serotonin reuptake may or may not be the story. As you know, with the fluvoxamine, there's this out this there's a sigma one receptor, and maybe fluvoxamine mostly works through the sigma one receptor and has anti-inflammatory effects on the brain, and that's the main right. mechanism. We don't know. We don't right. know. It, uh, and so when you get to the newer stuff, uh, what we, what was it? It's like one of these. It was uh, just for the it was a cream. Thing. Yeah, I would think it was it was for something for psoriasis, I think. And I was just reading the paper okay. through it, so, and that's when so I went and dug through. And apparently, things, there's a lot of these that they don't know the mechanism of action on like antidepressants yeah, and lithium and, and all this. Um, but there's lithium and there's, again, there's theories about it, there's ideas about it, there's evidence, but it's not for sure we know exactly what the mechanism of action is on various things. But topical stuff, you know, sometimes it's things that were being used before the FDA existed and they just sort of get grandfathered in. Right, right. right. And that, that's a lot of what happens. And I bet that's what happened in this case. You, you have to, you have to come up with a plausible <laughs> mechanism of action and pretty much everything you use. Right. It was just shocking to me when I read that and I was like, wow, they've put, you know, yeah. probably hundreds of millions, suspect, maybe billions I, into marketing this, this suspect, cream and they don't even know how it, it, how it, it works. Is it a new cream or an old cream? But I, maybe it's, it's an old thing that it might've been know. an older thing. It might've been a generic name. Yeah. The old things just kind of be like, even like Synthroid never went through the FDA. Mm. Right. Really? So there was oh, concerns wow. when, yeah. I mean, that, the thyroid things medication? like that. So, yeah. So, but, yeah. but levothyroxine, I believe has been through it. So, right. You know, so people sort of switched over to levothyroxine, but all right. So I got to wrap up, um, it, that we are really had some great calls some great yeah. conversation. I appreciate everyone that stepped up. Caleb, any last questions? Uh, no, that, that was my last question. I was just curious. Okay. Anything I should look at on the rumble rants or, ah, uh, no, we imagine had a, that's a, the national childhood, hang on national childhood vaccine injury act of 1986 gave big pharma immunity from vaccine injury. It was a 1986 act, according to Imagine That. So look that up. Uh, what was that, Caleb? You were going to say something? Uh, no, we have a lot of very great guests coming up, especially tomorrow. I'm really excited for Dr. Stephen Hatfill. If for people who go, aren't familiar, go yeah. look, go Google him for one thing. You have to hear his crazy story tomorrow. He's going to talk about it, I'm sure. But he was falsely accused right after the 9-11 attacks of being an anthrax, a guy mailing anthrax to people because he was a, a bioweapon specialist who had access to similar types or strains of anthrax that were being mailed out to people. Mm -hmm. He ended up winning, I think it was like a $5.8 million lawsuit against the Department of Justice because they tarnished his whole image in his career. And then he kind of went under, you know, not very much seen for a bit of time. And now he's popping back up again as a bioweapons expert. I'm very interested to hear what he has to say tomorrow with Dr. Victory.
Excellent. And uh, back to your point about mechanism of action, I was just thinking that doctors are free to use medications however they wish. They, just, just because something's labeled in a certain way, that's what the that's what the drug maker needs to qualify for to bring the drug to market. What we do in the practice of medicine with the drug is strictly up to us. And sometimes we don't necessarily know the mechanisms of action of what, what we are doing there. So I, I always try to understand the mechanism of action, that's for sure. But I'm certain that there have been times where the mechanism wasn't that clear. Uh, and yet the clinical efficacy was. So that's why we do it. All right, thank you so much for being here tomorrow. As you said, Dr. Hatfield, do you want to throw up any other uh, upcoming dates? Uh, Thursday, we, I, I'd like to do a show on Thursday if we can. Uh, probably be more calls. Uh, Dr. Hatfield, Dr. Ryan Cole on February 1st. We were going to get Dr. Rose next week, who had been fantastic. I'm very interested in her stuff. Uh, but uh, we're, that that is sort of moving. That's a moving target right now. And hey, Caleb, that show, by the way, we need, may need to move uh, to like 4 o'clock. I'm sorry Which to tell you. Tom okay. tomorrow's the uh next the 25th the 25th. 25th oh yeah and also we we actually yeah. aren't doing a show on thursday the 19th this week uh we aren't doing one this thursday the next you one's sure tomorrow. we're not you don't want to do one or we're not doing one uh <laughs> i don't know if i'm gonna be here for it i'll have to ask him okay the all right <laughs> all right fair enough you're not here we won't do it so we will be here tomorrow with dr victory as we always are and we will see you then at three o'clock Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only. I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor, and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help. Yeah.